One of the penalties of an ecological education is that one lives alone in a world of wounds. Much of the damage inflicted on land is quite invisible to the layman. An ecologist must either harden their shell and make believe that the consequences of science are none of their business, or they must be the doctor who sees the marks of death in a community that believes itself well and does not want to be told otherwise. The old world is ending. And we have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the systemic problems in our world. And the real solutions we have today. To transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse. To create an abundantly advanced collaborative society. That sustains all life. You may think it's an impossible dream. But the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Matt Holton, Amanda Smith, and Zachary Marlowe. And together, we can move past this economic absurdity and come together to actualize our collective potential to create something completely new. We are Mindless Society. with us Chris Agnos from Sustainable Human, a nonprofit organization aimed at evolving human consciousness. We are super excited to have him on this show today. He is in the business of creating media that provokes thought toward questioning the systems that we now live in and what we could do to make the world a better place to live in. Uh, Chris, tell us more about all of that. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be with you guys. Um, so yeah, we, I would say um, a few, about a decade ago, um, I started realizing the power of storytelling. Um, I realized that uh, stories are actually how we make sense of the world. It's how we, we use these stories to help us identify with ourselves. Um, we not, not not help us identify <laughs> not with ourselves but identify um and those stories really are our most prized possession like if you really challenge if you ever tried to like go up to a really religious person and start questioning their beliefs you'll you'll meet the resistance and the protection mechanisms of that story um and really we all have these stories and it's just a matter of whether or not we are conscious of those stories or they kind of run in the background for us um, and I think that if we are to harness our human potential, we do need to become conscious storytellers of our own lives and, um, and also tell stories that help us achieve things collectively, which we've done in the past. And I mean, we've achieved a lot of things, but it's the question of what do we want to achieve now and which direction do we want to go with that power that we have. And storytelling is really the way that we can um, shift that um, direction if if we can find a story that resonates um, well with with a lot of people then then we will enact that story yeah if I can chime in there because this is really my bread and butter uh, that's kind of my tribal you know ancient archetypal role is to be a storyteller to travel and be this 
sort of barred figure going around telling the story of us, you know, and really ultimately the problem that we are encapsulated in is that we are locked into the story of money, the story of uh, accumulation and individualism and this myth of the rugged individual and the nation state and all these things are really ultimately stories. They're ideas that have taken hold of the world and you know, contorted it into its structure to repeat itself, to represent it. And when we question those stories, you know, that is the most dangerous thing possible. And I think, you know, the, all the, the, the great challengers of the narrative throughout history, you know, the Buddha, the Christ, you know, the, the Gandhis and Martin Luther Kings, these people that came out and said, what we think of as normal is false. Those people are met with the greatest resistance because, you know, truly that, that change of story, that change of who we are, of that larger understanding of us, not just me, not just you, but all of us together, that larger story, there's, some, there's nothing more powerful than that. And I think that is really the, what, where, where we are as a, as a species. We need to change our story because we have this fictional uh, scarcity myth that we are completely trapped inside of right now that it is, that's really it. I mean, money is this story. It's a myth. It's a, it's a symbol. It's an idea. And we're trapped in it. And it controls and contorts the physical reality. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so you said, Chris, I was curious, like, I've seen a couple of your videos that really that really resonated with me. Um, probably one of the first ones I ever saw was a video uh, that you folks did called How Wolves Change Rivers. Yeah. But here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behavior of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion, the channels narrowed, more pools formed, more riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves. And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilized the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. Because Amiya kind of tells the story of also cascading events, I think, which we're which we're starting to see a lot, uh, you know, in the world with with one thing affecting another, affecting another, affecting another. Um, but a lot of times these things happen in, you know, very uh, disconnected ways, you know, over a course of long periods of time. And I think that that's a video that really illustrates that. And um, I was just curious, kind of like your, your thoughts on that, like, like where, where you kind of learned about that information and, and how that came about. I th that was that was someone else's recording, I think, wasn't it originally? It was uh, a, an audio recording, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that was definitely one of the videos that um, <clears throat> went viral right away. I mean, it was it's weird when you get a viral video and, you, you know, put out lots of videos and, you know, lots of them don't go viral. And then all of a sudden your phone just starts blowing up with all these comments like, thousands and thousands of emails and things. It's really kind of a weird thing. But the uh, the video went viral because it resonated a core truth that isn't being spoken, which is one of the things that makes something go viral. It's when somebody says something that resonates deeply inside of us that um, you know isn't being said often. And the core truth that that video kind of exposed was that everything's connected to everything else. 
mm-hmm. you know, and um, there is no separation between me and the environment that I live in. Um, and and that's a core truth that our society's story has negated or it has, um, uh, you know, uh, minimized um, or even uh, lied to us and told us that we are separate from nature. In fact, a lot of our society is built on the conquest of nature and the subjugation of nature to our will, um, mainly because we seek control to mask an insecurity that we deeply feel. I mean, if you think about it, like if you really, I'm going to go off on a tangent right now, but if you think about it, like, you know, the the, the deepest, uh, we all find ourselves on this planet. Like, let's strip away all of the culture and all of the stories that we believe. And let's just get down to like the very like raw thing, which is that we're all on this planet and we don't know why, but we have a life and we know that life's going to end someday. That's pretty much like all we know. We don't know what happens afterwards and everything else that kind of um, this, this. So just that state of that situation, if you empathize with that, it says we're going to create some insecurity. Gosh, we don't know. Like, what are we doing here? And we're going to end and we don't know what happens after that. That's going to create insecurity. So how do you deal with that insecurity? I think that there's two ways that we've really chosen as a human species to deal with it. And one is to seek control over our environment because if we can control our environment and we can insulate ourselves from potential threats we can feel like we'll at least last a long time and we you know we can put off that time of reckoning for as long as possible but um and that and that that has a whole set of you know consequences if you go down that road of trying to control the environment and we could talk more about that, but like, then there's another way, and that is to seek relationship. You know, if you seek relationship with others and you find that common bond and that camaraderie, well, that kind of eases that insecurity too, because you know you're not alone. So, but these these are both two different paths, and 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 sometimes in our lives we seek we we walk down one path and then the other, and then you know we seek to control some things and have relationship with other things, and and it's kind of a hodgepodge in our lives. But those two core drives produce very different outcomes in the world. Um, and so I looked see if I can loop back to how wills change rivers, which, um, um, which, you know, is kind of um, a story that everything's connected to everything else, which is kind of different than the story that we've been brought up with. And it's not a story of control. It's a story of how, if you kind of leave things alone, it kind of balances itself out and there's this like equilibrium or harmony in nature that happens as long as you know you don't minimize one population and 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 create a, a situation where that ecosystem is out of balance and that's what we really have today right now is we've kind of removed things from all kinds of different ecosystems and torn down other things and eliminated some species that we saw as pests and and, and really just wrecked havoc and not realizing that, oh, actually, if I can find the way that nature works and work with that, I can actually, you know, help to produce a paradise here on Earth. So I think the Wolves video kind of touched that deep truth that everything is connected. And that's kind of why, you know, it, it resonated so much with people. 
Right. Right. And it exposed those natural relationships, I think, a lot of the time yeah. as, as well, because because those, those relationships exist, whether, you know, in the natural world, whether or not, you know, we acknowledge them or whether we work with them or against them. And, uh, you know, just just seeing the stark reality of that, how how they interact with each other and the consequences of those cascading events was a real real eye opener for me. Um, and I'm sure a lot of other people as well, just kind of highlighting, you know, those relationships and, and how they unfold and, and, and whatnot. So, yeah, really, really interesting video. But that, that's a great insight too, just to, you know, use, use that as a way to show people those, you know, how, how those relationships exist and that we are all connected. I think that's a, a very, very deep and profound truth right now that does need to be um, you know, portrayed in, in a lot of media and in the world. I was just going to say, I remember that video. Actually, I, I saw it in a motel room in the Mojave Desert. I was on a crazy film shoot and someone showed it to me and I didn't, I didn't realize it was your video. I didn't, I didn't really connect that loop there, but that's the interesting thing about the internet and the way that it destroys this, this disconnectedness. And um, I, I was just wanted to say this point about control, what you said a minute ago about we always are in this paradigm of seeking control, seeking order, and seeking to micromanage our existence. And you have people like Jordan Peterson who are the extreme of this, that they're like terrified completely by any uh, chaos or disorder or you know this, this, this perceived lack that they see in the natural world that, is, that terrifies them, the feminine you know, dragon of chaos and all these things. When in reality, these people are like the most unhinged, uncontrollable people because they, they have this vice grip on their life. And they say, my life is not good unless it conforms to this set of conditions. And I will not be satisfied until my life fits these conditions. And because life is ever changing and evolving and unpredictable, it will never fit those conditions. So you're just ensuring I will always be unhappy. I will never be in control. Maybe for one second in my entire life, I will feel that I'm in control. Like I'm riding the motorcycle and I'm feeling it. All right, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm riding the wave, you know, and then you crash. Again and again and again, that is consistency, that there is the certainty in death. There is the certainty yeah. in nature's you know, relationships, in nature's unfolding, that to set ourselves against that and to say we're going to resist that, we're going to go against that, we're going to command it into our will, it's just so insane. Yeah, I think that's the fundamental issue. If you really get down and go down all the layers, I think we skipped a bunch of layers that on our <laughs> pathway down, but that's actually, I think, at the root of, of our society's um, uh, destructiveness because it is not in cohesion with nature nature's principles. Um, you know, uh, regarding the wolves video, though, and how it how it impacted people, you know, I've I've actually had um, someone who spent 30 years in wolf conservation. And, and this is just to go back to the power of stories. They said that this video helped more to sway people's hearts and minds about wolves than anything that she's done in 30 years of conservation work. This is the video that helped people to go up. Oh, wolves are not the big bad wolf, you know, because that's the story. What was the story before? You know, Little Red Riding Hood, the big bad wolf. Everywhere you go, the wolf is the thing that comes and takes the sheep or whatever it is from the farmer. And that's why they've always been the outcasts and always been hunted and killed is because of the economic conditions, really. <laughs> At the end of the day is what it's a lot of... Okay. The prophecy freeze comes to pass. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're giving another story. There he is. To 
<laughs> and so, you know, this is how, this is kind of when I saw that, I realized, okay, so if I really want to affect change in the world, then, then, then stories is the avenue by which you, you do that. I just want to comment there on uh, just keeping going into that thread of the story and the myth and you know the big bad wolf i would i went to the movies last night with my dad and my little brother and we saw the uh, jurassic park movie and i just saw like i keep everywhere i go i think about this quote and it i'll 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 have to link the the full quote because i can't remember it from my top of my head but it basically says the ecologist sees the invisible scars of disorder everywhere they go in the world they see the ways that nature is broken they see the way that this this relationship is crushed and I, I can't like go to the movie theater and like drizzle, you know, uh, factory farmed glyphosate infested poisonous food, you know, butter on the popcorn and, and just think it's okay. You know, I can't watch the trailers for movies where people are like getting eaten by lions and things like that and not see this is propaganda against nature. This, this goes against light that almost everything in our storytelling, our myth making, Hollywood especially, and this is something I've spent my life really devoted to is movie, movie making. And seeing the complete divorce from reality that is Hollywood, that that insidiously and unconsciously perpetuates these narratives that nature is an enemy. That in fucking Jurassic Park, which was funny because I, I, I'm going to do this thing where people do where they watch a piece of media and then they have to talk about it. It's like a viral thing. But it was like this movie that it actually kind of tickled this this urge of like an ecological understanding of like, oh, we've kind of fucked the earth up by introducing dinosaurs to it. You know, and they were actually trying to deal with some kind of ecological crisis, but in a way that ultimately circled back to reinforcing these myths that like, oh, some random scientist is going to, you know, find a cure for the problem and fix it and save the day. And, you know, we don't have to, you know, continually rethink our lives and question the way that the movie theater itself is constructed and, you know, the, the trash that we're throwing away after we leave and all these things that, that these myths and, and narratives and stories that we live in, there is no greater and more sort of totalitarian crusher of the imagination than Hollywood that normalizes disorder. And I think that that is, I mean, we're making media right now. We're doing this video podcast thing. I'm, I'm a filmmaker. I make movies. That's, that's my goal in life is to use these mediums to change people's stories because you can't just give them data. They don't understand no. that we as humans need to contextualize it and just actually detach ourselves from the raw reality. We need to be a part of it. We need to project ourselves and our feelings onto characters going through this journey. And that's something that I feel like, not to, I'll, I'll wrap my tangent with a good juicy question in a minute here, but that we've been robbed of is a sense of our connection and participation to this great story. As terrible as things are, as horrible and, and disfigured and broken, we are actually participating in the greatest story the human being has ever witnessed. That we are witnessing this clash of, of life against this mechanized, dark, controlling ego force. And we are a part of that. We can change that story with our own lives. And so many people have been divorced by that. So, Chris, I, I'm just curious. And um, I, I love your videos. I really do. I think they're brilliant. I'll, I search people a lot like Jeremy Rifkin, things like that. And I'll, and I'll inevitably see your videos come up. And you do a fantastic job of helping people feel like they're a part of that. And there's an epicness in that. I, and I'm just curious kind of your process and your motivation and just the way that you see the world and, and uh, the drive that, you ha that you take to do something about it? Um, yeah. A question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's more of a, a statement. It's a broad <laughs> question for sure. Um, <laughs> um, I would say that um, I guess the, yeah, I think empathy is probably one of the biggest tools that we use. And, you know, I mean, I, 
I, I could never do any of this work actually without my wife, who's um, been the person that has helped me to um, know myself, get to know myself, uh, really heal my own wounding. Um, and so we actually work on all of Sustainable Human together. It's a joint effort between the two of us, and I definitely couldn't do it without her. So, um, you know, we we really take music as a big part of the piece, and we make sure that we have the right music. And then we also um, um, incorporate, um, you know, just visuals. It's really trying to really match the visual that fits what people are talking about. And the combination of all of those three things um, helps to tell a story in a way that you can be more precise with than if you just have words. Um, um, you know, if you just have words, words really have been, um, what do you call it? Um, they've been, um, you know- been Demystified uh, or desanctified. They, 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 they've lost their meaning. Um, in many ways, and that's a big product of the marketing world who who has used these words to sell things that uh, commodified. Are, they've been commodified. Yeah, they've been com that's the word. They've been commodified. That's exactly what's happened. Hmm. Yeah, and that commodification of language has left us not trusting those words. Um, and and so when you combine it with the context of visuals um, and music, which is really kind of a language you can't lie with, um, and uh, then it can it can tell, help to tell a story in a more impactful way. Yeah. Speaking of the commodification of language, oh, sorry, Amanda, did you, you go ahead. And no, go. are you Amanda. sure? Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I've talked more than you have, so you go for it. So it's so funny how much time we spend. Like, no, no, after you. No, no, go ahead. You're like, <laughs> so that, that's, that's, it really is like uh, doing that and figuring out how to step back and let other people speak is so much of this process. And here I did spoke over both of you in the process. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you know, it's funny because it leads right into the point I want to make. And uh, and Chris and I were talking about this before we hit record. Um, I get very excited about this topic topic of language of etymology uh yeah and uh basically i'm at a point in my life where i feel like um spoken language is is completely fallible um it is um it's a logical fallacy at this point that that doesn't really serve anything but a commodified world um that's probably not the best way to word it, but here I am struggling with words because again, I, I just struggle to find words that I that, that truly convey what I'm feeling and thinking. Everything has been, as you said earlier, Chris, shoved through, well, so much uh, said, shoved through the corral of the market. Um, words don't have meaning um, in the sense that they're, uh, you know, like they have an intrinsic me intrinsic meaning, uh, meaning they have uh, a commodified meaning, uh, meaning where people are like, um, yeah, I'm being nice to you because I'm getting paid to be nice to you, you know? And then I think that transfers into a lot of different areas of our life where like, say you go to Starbucks and get a coffee and the lady is nice to you, the barista is nice to you. And then in, in the rest uh, of your day, people are being nice to you and then you can't help but wonder why are they being nice to me are they being nice to me because you know they're getting something out of it because it helps them control the situation that we're in the, in in that moment or because it's innate innate niceness you know uh for what all of that's worth um but getting to the point in the question i really wanted to ask 
you know, you call yourself sustainable human and sustainable is one of those buzzwords that has been turned into more of a cliche, such as the word love and so many other things that people just throw around and, and it really doesn't have any weight anymore, especially with the green market and green politics and, you know, so on and so forth. So what does the word sustainable mean to you? Why is it what you have chosen to name your organization and how do you think it plays a part in storytelling um you know like yeah that's a great question um yeah sustainability what the hell does that mean these days um i kind of like to take the word apart sometimes and just uh look at it and really when you look at it it says it's the ability to sustain so the question so it's a vague term by itself it actually means nothing unless you can put it into some context of what it is you actually want to sustain without knowing what it is you want to sustain then the term is meaningless so so the problem with sustainability at this point is that this is still this 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 thing that you want to sustain is ambiguous people still do not define what it is that they're trying to sustain um and and more often than not these days what it means is we want to sustain our economy um and sustain capitalism sustain capitalism this is the how how the term is being used these days is to sustain that so um we called ourselves sustainable human because we wanted to sustain humanity um and that's a different thing than if you want to sustain capitalism because capitalism is actually the thing that's going to destroy humanity um and so to sustain capitalism is actually to destroy humanity um, and therefore, we wanted to be called, you know, sustainable human because we actually want to sustain humanity. And so, that's that's kind of the the origin of of the name. And and um, and and you're absolutely right about language, though. And I just love to just jump into a small little detail about that. That just to maybe um, something that people haven't considered before. But one of the most destructive words in our language is actually one we use the one of the ones we use the most which is the word is um is is actually this if you translate it it can be translated into mathematics too it can be and then when you translate is into mathematics it's actually equals and the thing that that word does is it's in the word equals is when you say is you say you know um uh, um the the man is angry what I've done now is I've associated the man with anger, and I've said those two things are equal, you know? And we can do this about anything in our language. This is just part of it when we use that word. We're saying we're equating two different things. That If we look at those two things, they're not equal. They're not the same thing. And actually, nothing is the same thing. I mean, you know, the way that we think about science, you know, and the building blocks of our of our civilization when we go down to like electrons you know we think i mean in our minds we've we've been kind of programmed to believe that every electron is like every other electron it's the same thing you know there's three electrons okay so there's those three things but they're not the same i guarantee if you were to weigh them down to the smallest uh you know scale of precision that you could there's going to be some variance there just like any there's going to be some variance off widgets coming off the factory line nothing's going to be exactly the same but yet if i were to say there's three trees outside well what have i done i've basically said those three trees 
are exactly the same, but they're different heights, they're different weights, they're, they have different leaves, they have different numbers of branches. They're, they're all unique things. So if you see what our language can do and does all the time just by its very nature is it begins to equate things that are not the same. And, and so, um, and, and then that, that, that again, now that, now we've kind of created this lie that, that, that we've equated two things that are not equal. But if we don't have that consciousness of that, everything is unique, that everything, you know, that there is, you know, only one of each of you and, and one of each of us and what, and that, that squirrel out there is unique from every other squirrel. It's got its own personality that the other ones don't have just as we do. You know, you begin to see the world a little bit differently in that in that uniqueness, and it goes beyond language because our language can't even describe that really, you know, very well, just by its very nature. And so, anyway, I just want to drop that in there. <laughs> Can I piggyback off of that really quick, Marlon? Great point. Go Thank, ahead. I just want to say it sounds to me like what you're um, essentially describing is um, language as a reductive. Yeah. form of communication because yeah. without visuals without vibrations such as music we're just doing our best to convey what we're feeling and thinking and ultimately it boils down to um, a, a need to somewhat control as you were talking about earlier the situation the moment that we're in not that we're innately nefarious uh, beings but in the world that we live in the need to control the situation we're in has dominated how we use our language and so again yes. it, it adds another layer of reductiveness to spoken language that's the need for visuals and music to be added people can see and 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 then and in that way feelings are provoked things that they can feel and then better understand versus words coming at them that may or may not have the weight that they need to have. Couldn't say it better myself. I was really well said. And to get back to that, that <laughs> comment on the word is, you know, I think like you, you say the, the man is angry and this traps us in this perpetuity of, of, of being that we are this thing instead of saying the man is being angry. The man is behaving mm. angry. The man has anger moving through him. I'm thinking of this really fantastic uh, Jorge Luis Borges story where he's discovering this tome of these people who didn't have these, who didn't speak in words like this. They didn't have this understanding of time that they mm. saw people as always unfolding. There's an ING at the end of everything. Mm. And I think that's the property of emergence that's in nature that we're so dis distanced from. And when mm. people say, we got to change the world, I, I often say, no, we need to change with the world. We need mm. to stop saying we are in this established mode this is what we are and we're going to stay that which is what we're doing we're fighting changing mm. with the world around us adapting to our environment to remain in this antiquated barbarous capitalist system instead of saying life is emergent it is constantly evolving and growing and being and that is what that is how we uh, change this problem as as the wolves you know the wolves are are, are beings you know living beings you know it, it's to stop saying I'm going to fight to keep things the way they are, but to say, let's, let's evolve into this flow of things coming together as they can be. It's true. And, and to kind of piggyback on that, I think there's actually a language. I think it may be the Gaelic, the, uh, you know, original you're, Irish you're language. what I was thinking. Yep. Right. Yeah. They actually, they actually don't say, you know, uh, the, the man is angry. They, they, they think they say something more along the lines, like anger is on me or something yeah. like that at the moment, like, you know, to kind of signify that, you know, soon it will not be on me anymore. Soon it will be right. lifted off of me, something like that. 
And um, but it also kind of goes like you were saying, it, it, this this world is constantly evolving, constantly changing. That state of equilibrium is a, is a constant dynamic thing as well. And um, you know, and, and that's something that I, I believe you know humans as a race kind of need to really just kind of realize and accept and, and and even work with that in a sense because you know every everything is changing we are we're we're a species that's evolving in a constantly dynamic state you know and for us just to kind of work with our evolution and consciously evolve create the types of societies and communities and things like that that we want to create you know that that's a that's a physical manifestation of that type of of that type of thinking, of that type of language, you know, to say that this is this is what is happening right now. This is the situation that is on me, that is on humanity right now. Mm-hmm. Yet this will soon be lifted off of us, and we and we have other opportunities. We have different ways of thinking that we can organize society. And um, you know, to go back to the great David Graeber's you know new book, which we you know constantly you know reference on this show. There's in essence, all the all the most recent research has pointed to we can organize society in any way, shape, or form that we want. You know, there's no there's no exact human nature that does you know humans keep coming back to time and time again. It's it's whatever form they choose, whatever form they want to be at the moment, whatever form is on them or on their society. You know that they consciously. Uh, organize that way. And, and we can do that as a species too. If, if we want to organize in more harmonious ways that use these systems that, that focus on relationships instead of control, we can do that. We can have that conscious choice at any point in time. And to me, that's that's really what true sustainability is, is to work with those natural laws and like this natural law, resource-based economy, this thing that's constantly evolving. You know, that's that's this true, true form of sustainability we can, when we can work with those dynamic laws in the long term and re- reinvest in, in that environment that surrounds us and, and work with it instead of controlling it, you know, utilize those relationships. And th- that's just that's my two cents on the subject in essence so. well whoa, whoa. two cents aren't we trying to get rid of money <laughs> <laughs> no monetary denominations allowed That's um, right. it would sound like you're saying also that adaptability is essential to sustainability i mean ultimately mm. going with the flow per se is is vital to uh longevity and to survival uh obviously mm. because the way that we're fighting nature tooth and nail like not again not to separate nature from us but the way we're fighting this the ecosystems around us as mm. marlo was saying like we're some kind of top-down establishment that can control those ecosystems um isn't working and if we were to go with the flow more per se we would obviously be learning a lot more and have a better chance at survival and i think just really quickly marla and and i will shut up um i just think that's the most hilarious aspect of the way our society is currently organized the fact that we are trying to tell ourselves and each other that we aren't making this up as we go that there is some kind of core value system (laughs) beyond that of not dying um that that you know this is just this all elusive, like high up in the cloud type um, set of rules um, that we're all drawing from, you know, like some, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just ridiculous to me to think that we actually are trying to make ourselves believe that we're not making it up as we go, that we can't actually do better, that we can't redesign and adapt as we move forward on this timeline. It's ridiculous. 
So two things there. The, uh, the the Federal Reserve is actually changing the rules of money all the time. They're changing the interest rates. They abolished the reserve requirement entirely in 2020. Like So banks don't need a single cent in them to loan out money. The rules of the game constantly change to fit the, the game itself. This, this the, the, game makers, the game makers. Yeah, I wanted to say this thing that uh, you said that we we are not we separate set ourselves separately from nature and we are at war with it but we are at war with our own nature we're at war with our own bodies and i think a lot of that can be traced back to these these sorts of christian um views that life is sin life is sin can you imagine that life equals sin that to exist is like this error that is like this medieval system of belief where it's like to exist at all is like you should be flaying yourself constantly for this horrible thing that you did you know, they're like, what did I do? Oh, I was well, born. if we weren't live so horribly, it wouldn't and so, seem so we are at, totally at war with everything that it is in us that is natural, that is us. And it's just like we're in this constant sort of bipolar, schizophrenic, not to, uh, you know, I've been called both of those things enough times that I can I can take those slurs and, and reclaim them. You know? But yeah, we're in this insane sort of. Uh, construct where we're at war with everything that we are and we fight it. We fight our natural urges. We fight our beliefs. We fight our, our empathy. We're constantly fighting empathy, which is an yeah. inborn social trait that we need to like force out. I talked to an Uber driver from, uh, I think, Sri Lanka from a village and he was so nice and kind. And I was like, yeah, you probably, it seems like you, you had to learn how to be an asshole to live in America. And he was like, yes, I did. I had to learn how to not care about people, how to not feel the heartbeat of every person that walks by me on the street and to be terrible? concerned of their hunger. Oh my God. If, if that doesn't just sum it up in a nutshell. So, yeah. so much further implication there. Well, remember how there's like uh, earlier, I was talking about how there's these two ways we deal with our insecurity. You know, we either try to control the world or we seek relationship to it. And you can kind of tell like, here's the cab driver, you know, who's coming from a place where he sought relationship and camaraderie with those around him to make, to deal with that insecurity. And then he comes to a place like the United States where it's primarily, you know, a, a control driven system um, where, you know, the United States tries to control the outcome of, you know, every other country in the world and, 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 and how it relates to every other country in the world and everything in between. So, you know, that system of control gets embedded in the population and then they try to enact the, their own systems of control in their own spheres of influence. And some spheres of influence are much bigger than others and, um, and can affect more people. Um, but, um, but yeah, that core choice that each of us makes to either try to control our environment or seek relationship to it um, ultimately will determine how our lives play out and, and, and how our collective lives play out um, 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 over time. And I think that those control um, techniques, um, you know, the Federal Reserve, the stories of um, Christianity, these are all ways that people who have been in the highest seats of control have used these techniques to limit human imagination and to control what people think so that they have much more limiting beliefs of themselves and their capacities and their um, imagine you know what what they can do with the world and once you have that limiting belief then you're much easier to be controlled especially if you're rooted in fear which is what you know, even in modern times, we're constantly bombarded with fear constantly in the news so that we're scared of strangers and we don't want to connect and we think it's dangerous. So, you know, th th that's why the news is 
you know, 98% negative. And because and instead of talking about all of the positive things that people do for each other every day, now you go on YouTube and you can find these stories of people rescuing animals and they've got, you know, 30 million views. They've got way more views than, you know, any of those fear stories are having these days because people have such a hunger for because it, it makes them feel good and it helps reinforce that other narrative that we can have relationship with. And, and I think, um, I think humanity is waking up to that. I think more and more and more people are starting to realize that that whole, you know, fear control narrative does not produce the best outcome. And in fact, it does lead to stress, you know, um, because like you said earlier, Marlo, you know, you can't control the world as much as you'd want to try, you're never going to get there. And so the stress that you endure because of that, it, it destroys your body, it destroys your mental health, your physical health. And people are now with the destruction of the environment, that's clear for anybody to see who's watching. Um, you can't deny it anymore. And that is, I think that's really having a big psychological toll on people who have been closed off to that idea before um and because they still don't want to recognize it they um uh they um you know they just don't um they don't you know really let that knowledge in and it still just affects you them on a cellular level i think and that's just my opinion but either people reject it outright still this to this day or they reject its totality or they accept that it's real and they just still assume somehow that to continue living this way is going to solve it. That some scientist is going to come out with some fucking little test tube that has the answer in it, which is what that fucking movie I watched last night, that was the conclusion. Oh, thank God. It was, it was really an interesting experience watching American media deal with the, something that is, is at this point undeniable. And the villain of the movie was like a corporate bad guy. There's like an evil corporation. One evil corporation, not a corporate system, not a right. way of organizing life around markets and money and you know the, the continued consolidation of power into this tippy-top point. Oh, it's just the person at the tippy-top that's the problem. We need to get them out of there. And you know, just like these, these very flimsy stories that are – they won't question the deep story. We can imagine yeah. conflict. We can imagine the end of the world. But as Mark Fisher said and many others, it's harder to imagine the end of capitalism than the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, too, it seemed like COVID was kind of uh, a big deciding factor that really kind of woke people up to a lot of that. I, I think yeah. I think that control that that, um, you know, in essence, we were just kind of choosing to organize society like that. And and when people essentially put their lives uh, in front of business, the pushback, you know, from business and government and everything to try to control the situation, to try to get people to go back to work, to literally to risk their lives, uh, you know, in many situations uh, for the sake of, you know, uh, the economy. Ec economic <laughs> activity. Yeah. So yeah. their business, Gross. so their restaurant didn't get <laughs> shut down or whatever. I mean, that was, that was a pretty big wake up call for a lot of people. And, and once things like that happen, it's really hard to put the cat back in the bag, mm -hmm. you know, people, people realized, wait a second, these two are actually incongruent and, uh, and we don't have to live like this, you know, cause, cause probably three quarters of the economy shut down and you know what, 
everybody was fine. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, people sat there at home and they actually had some time off and a lot of them got paychecks. A lot of them weren't so fine, but a lot of them, a lot of them were, were quite all right. Just sitting at home, relaxing and watching television or Netflix and, you know, the grocery stores and a lot of those things were still functioning with just a minimal part of the economy going, um, you know, but the control the the control for a lot of them was gone at that point. And once they had a taste of that, you know, different type of society, at least with a little bit less control where, where their you know, where human life was actually being valued a little bit more. Agree. Yeah. It, it, you know, and it was this pushback. It was this, it was, it was the, uh, you know, the human relationship part of it. I think like you're talking about in direct opposition to this economic, you know, control that, uh, that the, 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 they were really trying to grasp at that in essence. And, um, you know, it's just, it's created such a different uh, perspective. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, like when we talk about Donella Meadows and systems thinking, it's that highest leverage point, essentially, to be able to drop those paradigms, you know, to be able to say, you know what, that paradigm actually isn't working very well. And we're going to start viewing this situation a different way. And, um, and it was really interesting to watch that happen for a lot of people. And, and, and it hasn't rubbed off. And it's only and, and in any case, I think it's just kind of escalating from there. It, it, granted, the economy is opened again in a lot of ways, but a lot of people, they don't want to go back to that old way of life. They're they're really sick of it. And they're looking for alternatives now. And they're and they're looking to create them and, and start living those alternatives. And, and those alternatives do have to do with more of a relationship. They have to do with cooperation and people working together and uh, you know, working with the natural laws of the environment as opposed to working against them. You know, we're trying or trying to, you know, pump as much fossil fuels into the atmosphere as we possibly can, regardless of the consequences. Now, now we're realizing that that's actually, you know, we can't control that. That's not something that we can control what the earth does in response to us, you know, pumping billions of tons of, of CO2 up there. You know, now, now we're starting to feel the effects of that. Go ahead, our Zach. You desire, to add? Our mad desire to control and order the world has created an uncontrollable situation beyond our, mm. our scope, beyond our reach. Mm-hmm. I was just, I just had this, this little thought that of all the myths that COVID destroyed and even more so that, well, just the big ones that, that, you know, they could press a button and put $20,000 in, in the bank account of every broke person in the country and the world wouldn't collapse. And the other thing is that everybody was out of work and like everybody got tired of sitting around and watching TV pretty fast. So this <laughs> notion of like, you give people the basics of life, they're just going to be lazy. Everyone was like, oh, I'm so bored of being lazy. I want to do something. I want to bake mm-hmm. bread. I want to start a garden. I want to learn how to fucking ballroom dance. I'm craving it's community. True. I'm craving mm-hmm. some participation. That And they you know, did. One, that they did we, a lot of those things. Absolutely. I mean, innumerable examples of people doing, connecting with their deepest passions. You know, finding like, you know what? I don't actually want to go back to this office. I want to be a comedian. I want to be a baker. I want to do that. You know, I want to find my actual purpose because that's not it. And it was just like this infusion of giving people the, the, the insulation from the fear of the outside world, of the scarcity and the collapse that we're experiencing, you know, every day we walk out the door and almost get hit by a car. But yeah, we, we're living in these stories and they're restraining us ultimately from coming into who and who and what we are. And so, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the value in what people like you are trying to do, Chris, which is to get people thinking, to get people questioning and to change the narrative. Now, the narrative is broken. The story is breaking itself. I mean, it's, 
that's in a way what you know I have the, some of the most hope in when I see the bad news I I see horrible news like you know the Arctic is melting it's on fire there's bombs of methane underneath it and if they get released we're done I get optimistic more so than ever because it's like okay this is making it undeniable it is cracking these bullshit stories and narratives that have kept us from us for so long and people cannot ignore it anymore we just can't my the fear there is that people won't wake up fast enough and that there are other there are those people who didn't feel the the fear in the first place that can only be motivated by a new joy a new a story of joy a story of greater bliss and connection and happiness and fulfillment and advancement, true advancement. And that's really what we're trying to create. We're trying to, it's really so interesting the amount of pushback that I get for like focusing on the solutions, talking to activists about solutions. That's the point where people really get freaked the fuck out when you talk about things that are solutions beyond electrification and you know a different kind of ruler. When you actually start to say, let's move outside of this artificial cube, this shape that doesn't really exist in nature into something that is resplendent and new and beautiful and fluid and changing they get really scared by that because it's not a story that they've heard it's not a story they can see themselves in and so that's our job that's really the most important thing i think we can be doing with our microphones and our cameras and you know and our collapsing world all around us is we need to we need to urgently tell people this we don't have to live this way this is a bullshit story that you've been told to keep you distracted while they steal your life from you and make you go to war and kill your planet and we can do better yeah i would i'd caution just a little bit though to have a little more empathy for their story because if you if you if you come at them with like this um you know your story is kind of bullshit or something like those kind of terms they'll defend you know, it they'll defend it and so you so i really strongly mm -hmm. suggest to people that you know, and, it, and it's so tough because, you know, we get triggered so much by this society and how unfair and unjust and, you know, um, uncompassionate, if that's a word it is, um, you know, that we, you, you know, that we react with, you know, this, this anger towards it. But, um, but, you know, the best thing, the best way to change someone's story is to first, you have to understand their story and you have to understand the ways that that story has put limiting effects on them. And, and, and really it's, you know, it's really interesting. You know, I started sustainability and I started looking at green energy and all this kind of stuff. And then I wound up today looking at trauma because it's like, if we can't heal ourselves from the trauma of those stories and what they have done to us, then, then, you know, we, we can't really come out of it. We have to understand the, the conditioning that we've been put, put through. Um, and, hmm. and so, you know, I, I really um, think it's important that we, you know, um, understand where people are at because, you know, many of us have Absolutely. gone through a journey where, where, where we, you know, I, I did, I did for sure. You know, I, I had a whole 10 year corporate career uh, when I was in my twenties, I had a, you know, a path that was laid out in front of me by my parents to follow this path and you'll be successful. Um, but then, you know, I, I was 30 years old and going to nightclubs all the time and just being a total consumer, I swear to God. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I was just like, I, I think, I, I think I watched, um, I think the thing that did it for me was, uh, Peter, Peter Joseph's work with Zeitgeist, uh, moving forward. I saw that and, um, I started, 
you know, realizing that, oh, wow, you know, this isn't even sustainable, this world that we're going in. It's like, this doesn't, because I had already known that I wasn't happy, you know, going to the bars and doing all this stuff and getting drunk. It was just totally, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't happy. I was unfulfilled. I definitely wasn't fulfilled with life, even though I was doing everything I was, I was told I was supposed to do. Um, and, um, you know, I, from that moment, um, I kind of, um, knew that I needed to go in a different direction. And mm. I mean, that just led a whole different story. Um, but, but, you know, that, that point is, is that, you know, everybody is, um, kind of where they are at in their life based upon a lot of these conditionings. And we really have to be empathetic to that condition in order to, you know, help them understand and be that kind of relationship that they kind of always been longing for, but never trusted that they could have. And, 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 and so it's really important as we move forward as activists to really tone down our anger um, and really tone down our, you know, that, that fire, that rhetoric, that hatred we have towards these unjust systems, because um, there's a lot of people who find, you know, that these systems help them to feel like they're more in control and, and that's, and they're stuck in that mindset. And so they need something else in order to get out of it because the mm -hmm. hatred and anger fits very well in that, that story. You know, I always tell people who are activists, like, you know, if you, if you just get all this rage and want to fight, like, well, the other story's way better at it. You know, the people who are enacting that story, <laughs> that's their MO, you know, they do this for mm -hmm. a living. Like you're not going to win. You have to change their hearts somehow. You have to somehow get in there and 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 you see these stories too of people who were, um, you know, drone operators who came out and were like, I couldn't ever, I couldn't do this anymore. You know, they felt such guilt and remorse for dropping these bombs on people overseas, and they, you know, they they they, you know, totally uh, uh, had that had that impact them to the point where they left their job and they you know some of them are going to jail because they brought they exposed secrets that they, they they had shunned and so you know people do have a breaking point when it comes to this and like you said that breaking point is is coming to us through climate change and all these other things that we can no longer deny so we just have to be there to welcome them into relationship and help them to find this new path in life it's a beautiful point mm -hmm. yes couldn't have said that one better yeah, abs and I, I, I want to say that I absolutely agree with you 100%, Chris. And um, and there's a lot of lot of lot of insight in, in that as well because, I mean, the current world isn't all bad. You know, it's it's not all bad. There are a lot of really beautiful things out there, and within these, even even within the current systems and structures that we have out there. I mean, look at a car, for instance. You know, cars are actually pretty cool. Yeah, they burn fossil fuels, but they get people from point A to point B, and they serve a lot of purposes. You know, it's not like we want to do away with cars. You know, but we would really well, much. I kind of do. Let me let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish my point. Let me finish. Okay. It's not like, honestly, I, I love cars, you know, granted, I would much rather see trains, you know, in public transportation. However, you know, I don't think we'll ever be able to do away with cars a hundred percent, you know, because
because people are kind of always going to need to disperse and go individual directions at different times and whatnot. And, and, and vehicles, individual vehicles will probably always be useful. However, it's the systems that, that use them in certain ways that I think are much more detrimental. You know, a lot of the time, like like if, if vehicles, for instance, were not an ownership thing, but an access based thing, we would probably only need 10 percent of the ones that we actually do. Right. And, and they if, would only use like 10 percent of the resources. Go ahead, Amanda. What right, were you gonna I, was, say? I was just going to interject really quick and say, and if our our society wasn't um, designed around car supported infrastructure you know if we just used personal vehicles to get to destinations that our public transit doesn't already carry us to which would be the most uh necessary destinations like our medical care our entertainment our um you know our our food sources and things you know then it wouldn't be such a big deal if we weren't so sprawled out in these suburbs that that force us to a lot of the time it's the profit incentive that acts as a barrier or it acts as it acts as some sort of or, or distortion of actually what's happening in general, like say with nutrition and studies and things like that, it can actually get in the way. I think I saw a post of yours the other day too, Chris, that was talking about that too. Like I, you know, science is great and all, but when the profit incentive yeah. gets involved in it, it can really distort what happens with that science and the message that gets across and even the results a lot of the time. And so I think it's a, it, it's, it's really important to acknowledge where it is working and then where it's not working so much and make distinctions between the two. And also, uh, to, to just to kind of take this another step further, it's really important to meet people where they are within these systems and understand exactly what positions they are in, what, you know, why they're doing the things that they're doing and empathize with them in there. I totally mm-hmm. understand why people are doing the, the things that they're doing a lot of the time. And I don't blame them, you know, because our right. system incentivizes these things, you know, even the CEOs who are so-called evil in a lot of people's eyes. I really hate using the word evil. You know, I, I, I really really try not to call people evil or, or say, hey, it's your fault. You did this wrong, buddy, blah, blah, blah. I like to say, you know what? They were incentivized to do this because it's the system that incentivized it. They're behaving corruptly because they're being incentivized to be corrupt. Yeah, I think that the existing system itself and all of its uh, mechanisms feeding back into each other, you know, as, as circulated by this water, this, 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 uh, this base um, structure of money is, you know, limiting our potential magnificently. And it's like, we have this amazing technology. We have all these amazing, uh, mechanisms and means. And in a, in a, in a way we have created, you know, horrible wonders in this world. Like the city of New York is like, it's a horrible wonder. It's a thing that I think really should not exist, but it's pretty amazing that we made it. And it, it just shows me that you know, all of these people out there that keep the world going through their kindness and generosity and goodness and skill and ability and knowledge, they're doing this in spite of a system. They're doing this against a system, you know, and the overall, you know, philosophical shift is to see that these faculties and functions of the system no longer serve us and we need to transition to something that does. And so I think in talking about true sustainability and the ability to sustain, the ability to be to consistently not necessarily replicate the same outcome but evolve and grow and change i think when we look at this existing system and its infrastructure and its you know incessant need for growth and waste and destruction and you know the self-perpetuating myths and narratives that keep people within it that self-perpetuate in that you know the the media the news cycle all of these these 
the, the advertising and media systems, which are the stories of our time that are reinforcing this, that keep people in this belief structure, that they are incompatible with a sustainable world, with a world that is calm and peaceful, a world that is as the you know beautiful forest that I'm looking at right now is full of movement and life and energy, but it's not it's not you know full of noise and, and clutter and chaos. It's not like a highway that's busy that's you know full of people whooshing by and yelling at each other. There's not this this sense that we're fighting ourselves. And so yeah, to, to create true sustainability, it, it's 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 a change of the story, the deep story. And the story, the story is that we've accepted a lot more suffering than is necessary. And, and we, we don't create a lot more of it than was necessary. So Chris, I'm, I'm curious, um, how can we, uh, how can we work together more? How can we sort of, uh, assist in this goal of, uh, I think that the goal of your organization <clears throat> was to expand human consciousness. I think, uh, I would say that our, our organization is uniquely, uh, and essentially, you know, devoted to the same goal. Aligned. How can we, we work are. together? How can we collaborate and work together to to change that story? Well, I think we are working together and we are collaborating because we <laughs> both kind of have a similar vision. And and I think, you know, part of the change is actually a change in tactics. Um, and, you know, in the past, you know, in our society, the way it works is we create these hierarchical structures and we you know, create these roles and responsibilities and everybody do, does, you know, operates a little machine, little crank that they turn with their left hand or something, you know, all day. And they don't really know the big picture of what's going on for the full thing. And there's, you know, the whole thing's kind of mystified for a lot of people in these hierarchical organizations. And, and I think that part of the shift to whatever comes after this is, 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 a, is a lot less hierarchy. I mean, I think hierarchy has um, value but you have to be very clear on why that hierarchy was created to what end. And mm. because what happens to, you know, what has happened is hierarchies have been created and then they've been infiltrated and, and used to, um, uh, for, for certain people to take advantage. Um, and, you know, war couldn't happen without hierarchy. Um, so I think, right. you know, we need to be very clear on why we're creating these hierarchies and only create the ones that are necessary. You know, if you want to build the Hoover Dam, I don't think we should have built the Hoover Dam, but if you wanted to build the Hoover Dam, <laughs> you would have needed, you know, a, a hierarchical team of people who could, you know, accomplish that project. So whatever that project is. And so I think we do need to move into a more decentralized way of working together where we have these kind of goals that, and we all try to work towards that goal, however we see we can participate in it. And, and, you know, and then we get together and we share our stories and we collaborate and we learn from each other and, and, and we kind of figure it out organically as opposed to having these like hierarchical organizations where everyone tells you what to do. Like we're, you know, so many people are just kind of being waiting, like, okay, well, tell me what to do. I know the old thing doesn't work anymore, but I don't know what to do because my whole life I've just been told what to do, whether it was from my parents or my teachers or my bosses. It's like when no one's ever asked for my opinion or what I think we should do, but that's part of the shift I think that we're making is that everybody contributes something and because we all see the world differently and we've all had different experiences. So if you, you know, um, went through addiction, then you can help other people who've gone through addiction, you know, and you're helping to contribute to that sustainable world. 
Um, you know, if you are a permaculture person, you can you can hope to heal the nature landscapes. You know, you can restore farms that have been, you know, destroyed by industrial agriculture and try to restore the soil. You know, then you're also contributing to the more you know sustainable world. So there's 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 all kinds of ways to do it, and I think people need to like stop like waiting for someone to tell them what to do and say, hey, you know what? No, I can actually do something to contribute, and here's how I to do that and and i think we all collaborate when we do that because we all kind of have this vision that we're moving towards together um and i think the more that we do that then the more we we make that world a reality i think that was beautiful and i I just wanted to say that uh, the sort of distinction of uh justified hierarchies or necessary hierarchies has been addressed by anarchists going back 100 years of saying there's a big difference between a specialist and somebody that tells you what to do and you have to do what they say and so this is this is actually kind of um, material that we're going to be getting into in future episodes. It's stuff that I've been really very heavily immersed in, in in you know configuring and tooling and you know thinking about and talking to people about is in creating that structure, is in creating a systemic decision making and organizational structure that is as opposed to you know the democratic rep- representative structures that we've had before. That is more of a holacracy or a sociocracy. Those are kind of two. Uh, similar models that people have worked on that are decentralized, you know, uh, autonomous decision-making systems that don't, there's no position structurally for somebody to sit at the top of a pyramid and say, I'm in charge, where there, instead of that, it's more of circles within circles, nodes within nodes that give people autonomy within roles that are changing, that are not like, you have this role and this is all you do. It's like, okay, here's your your responsibility for the day. You know, there's a lot of, of really good work and and thought and effort that's been put into configuring these systems. But so you're talking a minute ago about people saying, okay, here's what I have to give. Here's my gift. I'm a permaculturist or I'm a mechanic or, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I can do these things. So really one of the things I think that is most necessary that I have been conceiving in my head for, you know, years now, you know, from, from dreams and visions and just seeing the world and the technology that we're using and being dissatisfied with the social media networks that, you know, as you know, we said before, have done wonders for our lives in these in these ways, but they don't go far enough. You know, like the great Jacques Fresco line to the Ku Klux Klan in this local town. They asked him, they invited him to a meeting and they, they, they said, what do you think, Jacques? And he said, well, you can't just tell people they're full of shit. You have to meet them where they are again. And he said, well, it's a good idea. Just doesn't go far enough. And then he dissolved their, their meeting by showing them, you know, the error of their ways, blah, blah, blah. But basically creating a system, you know, through applications, through apps, through databases, through censuses, through economic processes of determining, okay, here's our people, here's our population in our society, here's the roles that people have, they, they p- plug that into their profiles, and then we create a system that works to marry wants slash needs with resources, with haves, where somebody says, somebody enters this service, and you can see it on a map, and there's little nodes within nodes of this is a, a larger node that's a community and you can zoom in and you can see different people within that and even different working groups within that community and connect with them and somebody enters this software or service they say i need this there's somebody in the database there's algorithms that are working to connect those two people that's an economy i think that's the foundation of a resource-based economy is okay we have the tools that we need to create society within ourselves you know we don't all have them all at once we're not all in the same place. We can't find each other. That's the big problem. We're not connected. We're disconnected. And our current social media systems are based upon uplifting individuals, creating isolated nodes, creating separated groups. But we want to create an integrated system that helps those people to economize you know, 
their roles within a society to meet each other, to connect, and to facilitate a, great, a greater and deeper regenerative connection to a larger system. And we're going to be doing episodes just, well, I could talk about that for two fucking hours, but that's, that's really, you know, I, I have this great optimism in connecting with people like you, Chris, that we met on the fucking internet, you know? We met on Facebook.com yeah. or YouTube and all these corporate platforms that are mining our lives to, you know, better advertise to us. And, you know, they're just bad platforms in a lot of ways. There's a lot of toxicity in them, <clears throat> like in all of aspects of our society. But we're making them work. We're, we're making these connections. And I just think w if we can do this with these CIA platforms, what can we do if we step out of them and begin to build our own structures, social structures? Yeah. If I'm uh, piggyback off of that, just really quick with a with a brief statement. Lately, I get these notifications in in my Facebook app. Uh, you're talking about toxicity, uh, toxicity. Um, these notifications are telling me to quote unquote engage with the comments on my post to gain more followers and to engage with my fans. That's the terminology. And it appalls me every time. It's ludicrous. <laughs> Talk about imposter yeah. syndrome. It That's makes gross. me tongue cringe to say it. Like it, it is gross. It's like <laughs> fans. I'm trying to make friends. I'm trying to build community, not separate myself in some hierarchical con uh, structure like you were talking about, Chris. Like that is this is ridiculous. Uh, Parasocial relationship. Yeah, yeah and <laughs> and no, no no truly cohesive relationships will be fostered through these platforms aside from um you know instances where like people like myself marlo and matt and others in our organization are able to find each other and in real life off of these platforms start to take steps in you know the tangible world um that's obviously where all the work has got to be done so in the uh in the spirit of uh sort of this thematic thread of storytelling um one of my favorite books uh, uh, sort of almost biblical, you know, religious text for me is Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is essentially marking the structure, the essential structure of stories all through, all through time and human history. And, you know, the structure of those stories is the same. You know, you begin in this ordinary world, this world that we inhabit that is, you know, totally fine. You know, it's fine that we're sitting in traffic. It's fine that we're going to work. You know, that's just the way things are. Money made this whole world, you know. Uh, you know, this this attitude of, of ordinariness, of we, we don't question this world that we're in. And then we leave that world, often through some kind of trauma, a dragon, <laughs> a flood, some kind of bad thing throws us out into the world. And, and in that world, we find other people, other characters and, and wise people and wizards and princesses. And we, we gain the help of magical items. And through this quest and this cyclical sort of uh, relationship with crisis, courting crisis, dying to the world, really dying off and killing off all those aspects of yourself that are connected to that old world, that ordinariness, that normality, and, and having it all be burned away by uh, this harsh conflict with life and to take it on and to gain some great boon, some great awareness. And for me, I think that the greatest boon or awakening in my life and understanding that my quest, you know, because I modeled my life after that book, after that story of seeing this less life is a story. And it's, it's, it's got to be, you know, it's got to follow that, that route, that myth, that journey was to discover this truth of the world, to unveil the ordinariness of the world and peel it away. Even though for me, it really never felt ordinary. Uh, it always felt off, but it was to discover that there is a pathway, a holistic answer, not just like some vague kind of sustainable, you know, sustainably thing of, you know, we're going to switch the Q-tips from plastic to wood, you know. This real answer, this real vision of a new world, 
of a new structure, of a new way of living. And to discover that after this, this series of shocks and conflicts and traumas, and to bring that back to the people, that's the, that's the place in the story that the American mythology has missed out on, is the returning of that boon, of that great uh, revelation to the people to save them, to liberate them from their unknowing and unconscious oppression. And that is always left out. It's always in this current American myth, it's all about the individuals, you know, riding off into the sunset with the girl and the fucking sword or whatever it is that, you know, they win, they, they beat the bad guy and they succeed personally. Whereas it's our role to take these knowledge, take this knowledge and this understanding and this, this adventure, this really fantastic journey that we're all on and deliver that to the people. And so I, I think through your example, of, let me just add that um, you deliver it through your example. You know, right. you don't go tell them all about what, what, what the new way is. You show them by, you know, inhabiting that new way and then allowing them to see that and, and choose for themselves to say, oh, yeah, that way looks much better. I love the way that, you, you know, that, that, you know, the way that you are. And I aspire now to be more like you because of that. Um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. That, well, that's one of the reasons why I say too, it's really important that we kind of like build like demonstrations and kind of proofs of concept of the new systems and structures that we're talking about a lot of the time is to really try to showcase these ideas and, and live them in our own lives and show that they actually work, you know, to other people. I, and start I actually developing think there's a great, too. there's a great system that already exists. That's totally hmm. already exists today. And it's totally anti-capitalistic. It's called oh. a, a library, right? <laughs> like and you go there, you, you check out the book, you know, you read the book, you go back, someone else checks it out, reads the same book, sees the yeah. notes that you scribbled in the, <laughs> in the, in the sure. margin. But libraries Absolutely. offer so much more than uh, books, you know, as you know, but a lot Absolutely. of people don't know. Like, like personally, my local mm -hmm. library, they have a seed bank. They will lend you garden tools. They have a 3D printer that's free this to is use, including the, they'll teach you for free how to use 3D printers, crickets, and all kinds of things to make things with that you need or just want. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a resource hub for the community, and they could all be that way. And and I don't understand. I don't know any reason why you know you couldn't have every um, you know um, every every property in a whole different. Let's imagine a different world, but you have every property in the library system. And if there's a vacant one somewhere, then you can go check it mm. out. You know? I like that. That's and, uh, to camp you know, on and, and maybe on. and maybe the libraries you know had some vertical farms that they operated within the cities and, you know, and they gave the food and people, you know, could join this library and they could, you know, mm -hmm. maybe donate a few days of the year to um, helping out the, you know, the logistics of it all. Um, but, you know, it's a different economy that could exist alongside um, the current capitalistic economy. Um, mm -hmm. And, um and so why not just expand this library concept? Because it's something that everybody already understands how it works. You know, you don't have to like say it's so oh, it's this brand new system, but it's just the library. It's just, you know, we go and we check out our house instead of just the Things book. that make sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> you see those sure. videos, things that just make sense. Well, library is right. number one in this, in this system. <laughs> exactly. So I like to point That's and use good. that example wherever I can to kind of show people example. like a different way to, to kind of do things. Definitely, definitely.
Well, I think we're running low on time here. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> want to want to wrap it up uh, in any case, or any any last thoughts from any anybody? Marlo, uh, Chris, Amanda. Oh, I have so many, but I hope that our discussions will continue off the camera. I am so happy that our listeners have got to hear from you today, Chris. I was driven to invite you on the show after um, engaging in some of the dialogue that you foster on your personal profile. Um, it was it, It's always a pleasure to engage with you. So Thank I you hope so that much. our listeners a... had the same experience. Oh, I I'd just like to say that let's, you know, as, as always, I try to foster these uh, show relations, shows into relationships, you know, and because we are collaborating, we are working together on this system. And I think, you know, there are like the library system exists today, the solutions are all out there. They're out there. We just need to bring them together and harmonize to something, to a, a new story, you know, that we're all a part of, that we're all building with our lives. So, Chris, yeah. you have any closing thoughts to... Uh, Leave the uh, leave a little sparkle in the imaginations of the viewers. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know. Um, it's hard without context. <laughs> I guess. Uh, well, the context is yeah. life as we I know it is is ending all around us. We are caught in the grips of this brutal, destructive lie. I would say uh, life exists all around us, and it still exists. And as long as it exists, there's um, going to be a chance for us to turn it around. I think that the only thing we really need to do is to is to shift our stories and to understand our stories. If you don't understand what your story is, it's important to figure that out um, and to trace back where it came from, um, whether or not you still are in an agreement with it, whether or not it's working for you to help you have a good life. And if it's not, then start to realize that there are other stories out there that we could um, use and, 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 and adopt to um, live a different life and you may not find the next one right away you might have to try a few out and see which one works for you and which one doesn't and 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 your body will tell you you know your body will tell you with the resonance of it of whether or not you feel like that story is aligned for you for you and your purpose in life and so getting into alignment with that is going to lead you not only to the best personal outcome but also the best outcomes for broader society as well because this we got to stop living other people's stories um, and the other people's stories that they've embedded into us um, and 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 for, for their benefit and not ours. So, um, you know, becoming conscious of that is very, very critical. Yeah, I just want to say to people, piggyback on, on that, stories are meant to evolve. We're not meant That's to right. live the same story that was written 245 years ago forevermore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, get out there and That's write right. the next chapter.